0: Go to the Lord now in our hearts in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, for the gift of the sunshine outside. Thank you for the gift of singing, joining our hearts in song to you. Lord, I ask that we would set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. Lord, we know that you are the King of the universe, you are the Lord of all. And I pray, Father, that you would stir us up to make you Lord of everything in our lives. For you truly are the Lord of all. I pray that you would be Lord over the words that I speak now. That you would help me to have clarity and wisdom as I unpack. Try to unpack for us a a text that is very challenging and that many Christians have disagreed with over the last 2,000 years. Thank you for your kindness and faithfulness to us. And thank you for each one here. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, we have the joy together of diving into a part of the Bible that um, is actually uh, really simple in the main point that Paul is making. All right. So, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is. Sorry, I've got a sneeze going on. are <laughs> making a really simple main point, all right? This chapter, though, is not so simple in what it means for us and how it applies to us today. That's what a lot of people disagree on. But in general, folks agree on what the main thing Paul's saying is. 1 Corinthians 14. This is a chapter that's all about the spiritual gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues. What they are, and to some extent, what they do for the church and for the watching world. And this chapter, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, is also about how Christians should or should not use these two gifts. Now, the reason Paul is writing everything he does in chapters 12, 13, 14, really the reason he wrote the whole letter is because the Corinthian church had a lot of problems, a lot of things they were struggling with, and chapter 14 is no different. The church was using the gift of tongues, and even prophecy to some extent, in ways that were creating a lot of problems. They were speaking in tongues, and nobody could understand them, And unbelievers were walking out saying, y'all are crazy. And it was not loving. What they were doing was not governed by love. And prophets, people that were bringing messages from God, were going out of turn. It was not a healthy environment. And so Paul is writing 1 Corinthians 14 to try to help the Christians there see the most loving way to use the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And the main point that Paul's saying is the, the ideal way to use tongues is privately, for the most part, not in church, where your words are not going to be understood by fellow Christians. Unless God miraculously enables someone there to understand you and interpret it. Instead of tongues together, Paul says what they should all seek to do is prophesy to each other. Share words from God to each other to encourage each other and build each other up. That's going to be better for everybody than speaking and listening to languages you don't understand. All right, so that's the main thing that Paul's saying. Prophecy is better, so focus on that. Better for the church, not better in general, but better for gathering together. But then, we've got to ask the question, what is this tongues thing that Paul is talking about? And what is prophecy? And are those gifts still around today? And how should we use them if they are? And here, we're going to dive into a world where there's lots of disagreement among Christians. Sadly, emotions can get really hot over this topic. Misunderstandings are everywhere. People not listening well to each other. And very sloppy Bible reading in a lot of places. Okay, But even Christians who are very careful Bible readers disagree on this stuff very godly men who I respect deeply, okay, come down on different sides of this issue and all in between. So there is a degree of humility that we should have as Christians, I believe, as we hold our conclusions and what we think is being taught here. Now, I'm going to read the passage in a minute, and you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. But before I do, I want to give you a couple definitions to work with. What are tongues, and what is this prophecy thing that we're talking about as we're going to read through chapter 14? I'm going to quote from uh, one of my former professors, and a guy that I've really been helped by. His name is Andy Nicelli. He writes this. He defines tongues this way. He says, speaking in tongues, in 14, chapter 14, verses 1 to 40, refers to an individual's praising God in a language that neither the speaker nor the hearers understand unless God supernaturally enables someone to interpret. Now, what kind of language are these tongues? Well, when people study recordings of what is called, this isn't Andy talking anymore, when when people have studied recordings, they've gotten the tape recorder out, and they've gone into these charismatic services where everybody's speaking in tongues and they record it, and then they analyze what's being said. One thing's generally agreed on. It's not a human language anywhere (coughs) known to man. You plug it into a computer system, it's not. And yet that does not inherently mean there is not content that is being communicated that we do not naturally have access to as human beings. In other words, that doesn't inherently mean, okay, then that's just bogus. It could be a coded language or a spiritual language we do not naturally understand unless it is Spiritually given to us, or God spiritually enables us to understand it, which seems to be what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14. That understanding, the ability to decode, to hear it in your own language, what is being said is called the gift of interpretation. This is my position. Not everybody agrees. Some people say, no, it's just all bogus. It's not any code language. It's crazy talk. And sometimes it may actually be. And sometimes, maybe it's the Spirit of God. Truly. I think that tongues are what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, when he references the tongues of angels. It's a spiritual language of praise to the Lord that he sometimes gives Christians the ability to participate in as they pray and sing. Now, many Christians over the years have disagreed with that interpretation that I didn't share with you. They say, no, the gift of tongues back then was only and always a real human language that the speaker doesn't know, but someone else somewhere (coughs) does. And they use that to say everyone speaking in modern tongues is, for the most part, off the rocker at best or demon-possessed at worst. Now, usually the go-to passage for saying these are real languages being spoken is Acts chapter 2. Some people will say tongues could be real languages or tongues could be a spiritual language. It could be both, and Spirit can create both. I tend to think it's not both, it's a spiritual language going on. So, in Acts, the Spirit falls on the early believers and they speak in tongues. Praising God, Acts chapter two in the Bible. They're, they're praising God and they're declaring the mighty works of God. They're not preaching or teaching people. That's that's an important distinction. The tongues are directed towards God, and in that event back then, people from every nation and Jerusalem, every nation in Jerusalem, they were that they were there that day. They're they're listening to all this supernatural praise service and they were able to understand it in their own languages a lot of people argue this was because those languages were actually being spoken and that used to be my position but as i studied this passage some more i become more convinced that that's not actually what's going on in the book of acts I believe what we read here in the book of Acts, chapter 2, is actually um, people speaking in prayers and praise to God in in tongues, and it's the gift of interpretation going on that we'll hear about in a minute. People are hearing those tongues in their own language. We're going to read about that in 1 Corinthians 4. I believe it was a gift given by God's Spirit in that moment in Acts so long ago that the praise and declaring of God's mighty acts and tongues that these early believers were were uttering were actually heard and understood in the many languages of Acts 2. But not everyone there in Acts 2, some of you may remember the story, not everyone there was able to interpret what is going on. Some only heard babbling, and they walked away saying, these people are all drunk. And so Peter, Peter stands up and says, no, 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 they're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They haven't had time to get drunk. <laughs> That's, it's kind of funny in Acts. When he, and, and it's because some people are hearing these God-fearing people, it says, in Acts 2. Read, read it when you go home. See what you think about this. Take on it. God-fearing people are hearing the speaking Going on to God. They're not talking to the people there. They're praising God. They're proclaiming the great acts of God together, these early believers. And there's God hearing Jews from every tribe and language there. And they're hearing it. And there's a miracle's happening. They're hearing it all in their own language. It's like the code language is being interpreted to each one in their own language, and the Spirit of God is doing that. So that all of a sudden they're hearing somebody who obviously doesn't know Arabic. <laughs> um and they hear Arabic, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who raised the Lord from the dead, great is the Lord, great is the Lord, and they're hearing that. But some people are hearing, blah, blah, blah. They, they, they don't know what's going on. And some people say, well, they're just hearing languages they don't understand. I don't think so. You can tell the difference between a foreign language, between, they, they would have known. I think they're not They're not getting the gift of interpretation. And they, they're, they're all drunk. Peter stands up and he sorts things out and explains what's going on through a sermon and 3,000 come faith in Jesus at that time. So, what are tongues? Again, they're a gift of the Spirit given to individual believers enabling them to pray and sing to God in languages that do not have earthly parallel and that only God understands unless God enables others to hear what is said in their own language. What is prophecy? Again, I'll quote Nocelli. He's got a good succinct summary of it. First Corinthians four, in 4 Corinthians 14, prophecy refers to an individual sharing with others an encouraging insight that they sense God has spontaneously revealed. In verse three, then, okay, we see things like this: prophecy is for upbuilding and encouragement and consoling of a Christian. In verse 4 and 5, it's for building up the whole church. In verse 6, prophecy, just like the gift of teaching and the knowledge that it conveys, the prophecy builds up the church. We could, we could go on, but prophecy is others-oriented, tongues is oriented towards praising God. Though sometimes God allows others to understand tongues by hearing them in their own language. And that's what I interpretation actually is. So it's not like all of a sudden you're hearing the tongues and then you you can like decipher the code there. No, you actually hear it in your own language. It's like, whoa. All of a sudden it's not bad, it's English. So now, after this long introduction, let's jump into 1 Corinthians 14, 1-25. 1 Corinthians 14, 1-25. And I'm going to do something that I've rarely do, my tablet didn't update, and it plays this trick, I mean, every once in a while, so I am preaching from something that is outdated, (laughs) which is fine, I just spent two hours this morning going over stuff, so I I want you guys to get the latest of what I was saying, so my tablet didn't communicate, so let's read the text, all right? Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and encouragement and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation, or knowledge, or prophecy, or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who's going to get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? i will pray with my spirit but i will also pray with my understanding i will sing with my spirit but i will also sing with my understanding otherwise when you are praising god in the spirit how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer what's going on what are you saying how can they say amen to your thanksgiving when they don't know what you're saying i can't say i agree if i have no clue what you just said verse 17 you are giving thanks great It's it's great that you're praising God, but nobody else is edified because they have not a clue what you're saying. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 18, but lest you think tongues is bad, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, when I gather together, I would rather speak five words you understand, five intelligible words to instruct others, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. And the law is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say, "You're all your, You're all out of your mind and understand what these people are saying. They're all drunk or babbling. It's crazy. Verse 24, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone's prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So here's the main idea that Paul is saying. Christians should desire the gift of prophecy in worship more than tongues because four reasons one these are all on the back of your bulletin prophecy is addressed to believers tongues are addressed to god three tongues are a sign for unbelievers they, they communicate something about unbelievers namely that they're on the outside not the inside and fourth Prophecy is for believers, and in context, it's a sign that God is saving them. So, point one, prophecy is addressed to believers. This is pretty easy to pick up from the verses that we worked through. The reason Paul wants the church to prophesy in the gathered assembly of Christians is because prophecy is the gift that most enables them to love their fellow brothers and sisters. Prophecies build up other Christians. Prophecies encourage and exhort other Christians, and prophecies can also console other Christians and comfort them. See that in verses 2 to 6 of chapter 14? This is different than the way that some Christians over the years have used what they call the gift of prophecy. Some people, claiming to be Christian prophets, have used prophecy, their prophecies, supposedly, to tear down or discourage or even frighten or attempt to control other Christians. As if, like, they've got the walkie-talkie with God, and it's like, God is telling me to marry you. It's like, well, he didn't tell me that. Well, if you disagree with me, you disagree with God. Like, holy cow. You cannot argue with someone who says, God told me to do it, can you? Can, can you argue, well, God didn't tell me that, Well, God says. Well, I think God says, all of a sudden the church develop, delves into chaos. Is this, is this what's going on? Is this what Paul's encouraging here? No, I don't think so. Gift of prophecy has been tragically abused by all sorts of faith leaders, sadly, as a tool to manipulate other Christians to Get them to do what they want them to do. God is telling me that I need a better car, and so you better give more. 1 800 donate to my Lamborghini, or whatever it is, it wouldn't be that (laughs) monster truck, something big. Right? You can smell a snake a long ways away. That's not what prophecy means. But some folks have reacted to all the abuse of prophecy, and they go the other route and they say, no, prophecy is no longer a gift that's in use today. Prophecy stopped when the New Testament was completed. Now, that argument, was, I, I will say two things about it. One, very few people make that argument nowadays, very few commentators. It's almost, it's very hard to defend. But John MacArthur is one of them that still does. So, you know, you can, you can read his view, John MacArthur, if you ever heard that name before. Um, he, uh, he has a commentary on 1 Corinthians, and they'll, they'll present that. He also has a book called Strange Fire, which I've read carefully and strongly disagree with, but that's another place you could go to get that view that tongues and prophecy are gone. Some of it is a reaction, to, in my opinion, to crazy things. But I believe prophecy still is in place today, and it happens when the Spirit of God presses mightily on a Christian the need to communicate a word from the Spirit of the Lord to another believer or a group of believers. It could be a warning against sin. It could be a strong sense that God is calling a church to take a particular course of action. It could be a mighty word of encouragement from the Lord, reminding someone that they're loved by God. But regardless of the prophecy, it should never be accepted blindly by Christians. All prophecy must be tested against the teachings of the apostles that are written down for us in the New Testament and tested as well with prayer. For example, is what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, he tells the church to weigh carefully what the prophets say. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22, Paul writes something that ought to make those who think prophecy never occurs anymore. Be careful. Make sure your exegesis is right. He says, do not quench the Spirit. How would you quench the Spirit? The next verse, 20, gives an indication. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, he says, don't despise prophetic utterances. Don't just write them off out of hand. Sure, God told you something. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So prophecy and and manipulation through prophecy would be evil. Prophecy is addressed to believers, but believers must task and weigh what is said. And what is said must be done in an orderly way. We'll talk about that next week in the second half of chapter 14. So that's a little bit about prophecy. It's addressed to believers. But tongues are addressed to God. That's pretty clear from 1 Corinthians 14, that tongues are addressed to God. Interpretation of tongues, understanding what's being said to God, is incidental to tongues, not intentional. Right? You're you're praising God, and it happens that somebody, the incident occurs that somebody understands you. But you don't speak tongues to be understood. Like, I'm speaking in tongues to you so that you can understand it. No, it's praise to God, and you ask God, hey, could you could you give us a second gift that people would understand it? If somebody hears and understands the tongues, this is a separate gift of the Lord, called the gift of interpretation by Paul. And so, if God isn't giving this gift of interpretation should not be used when the church gathers, because they are not contributing to the building up of other Christians at all. It just stopped right away. I want you to listen to some of the things Paul says as I, I read them to you about tongues. Verse 2. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. It's a huge thing there. This is the definition of tongues. Nobody understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. They're not being spoken to people. Not language to people. It's spoken to God. Verse 2 is huge. This definition needs to stick in your mind Those different parts of it as we work through. This is the norm for what tongues are. You're uttering mysteries by the Spirit. Things that humans don't... A mystery is something that must be revealed by God right you have to have a mystery review find it out how do you know a mystery well it has to be shown you or you discover it Christians speaking in tongues are uttering mysteries by the spirit that nobody understands normally these mysteries are not at all encouraging to other Christians they're encouraging to the ones speaking because they're feeling and experiencing the spirit move in them and through them in a powerful way you see that in verse 4. Those who speak in tongues edify themselves normally, not others normally. That's not the normal use of tongues. Paul goes on to say that when, that he finds tongues very enriching personally, and then he wished everyone spoke in them like he did because, verse 18, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you privately. Paul's words here should not be used by charismatic churches to say that all Christians must and ought speak in tongues. It's just not what Paul is saying. It goes totally against some of the other things Paul has already said, like back in chapter 12, verse 30, where Paul says, not everyone speaks in tongues. And in context, this contributes to the good, God-given diversity of the family of Jesus. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 7 to 19, Paul is going to go and use multiple illustrations that all work together to say basically the same thing, okay? If someone speaks to me in a language that I don't understand, says Paul, they're like a foreigner to me. What good does their words to me do? You ever watch a movie and don't have the subtitles on and it's in a, and it's in a different language? You can maybe figure out what's going on, but it's, it's not a very enjoyable experience. You ever been in a conversation where people are talking and you just have no idea what they're saying? Maybe it's foreign language, or maybe they're speaking medical language and you don't know what they're saying. <laughs> right? So it, it's, it's hard when you feel like you're kind of on the outside of a conversation and you don't know what's going on. Imagine you're in battle and you're waiting for a trumpet call, says Paul. To sound a command. Back then they gave trumpet calls, those, the days before Walkie talk, Talkies, right? And, and the trumpet doesn't give a clear, loud ta-da, meaning retreat. It's not loud enough. Maybe the guy didn't get a drink of water. <laughs> and so some people hear ta-da, and some people don't, right? And it's not a clear command. And so the people that heard retreat, retreat, and the people that don't, They get shot, because there's only 10 of them left, right? Uh, So that's not going to be a good thing. That's what Paul says. It's his illustration here. If the trumpet doesn't give a clear command, how are people going to know what they should do? And in the same way, uninterpreted tongues are like a trumpet nobody hears. They're not clear. They're not loving. They push others... Christians away I can't say amen to what you're praying if you're praying in front of me in tongues I have no idea what you're saying that doesn't love me when people are praying in tongues all around you and you're not you don't understand what's being said. it's isolating it's alienating it's confusing it's disorderly it's distracting it's not loving And it's wrong. Those are harsh words for so many people of the charismatic persuasion. And I say them with, I want to say them with kindness. It's not loving, because that's what Paul is saying. I truly believe Paul is saying that. It's like uttering, speaking in a foreign language to someone. And expecting them to understand, but they don't. God is for clarity and love in the midst of the gathered assembly, not confusion and chaos. There's a lot at stake, in fact, and that's where we're going to turn next. Tongue speaking in the gathered assembly of believers, its not when it's not interpreted, it can actually push unbelievers away into greater judgment. <coughs> Tongues are a sign of judgment to unbelievers. Listen to what Paul writes in verses 20 to 23. Brothers and sisters, he says, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In other words, he says, you guys need to grow up about this tongues issue and become mature in the way that you love each other in this area. Then, in verse 21, Paul quotes from his Bible, he says, in the law... It's written, by that means the Old Testament, with with other tongues, and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they're not going to listen to me, says the Lord. So here, Paul is quoting from Isaiah, a prophet in Israel. Chapter 28, verses 11-12. In Isaiah, chapter 28, the prophet Isaiah has been doing what he does a lot, He's been calling out the Israelites for their sin and their rebellion against God. The the people of Israel, they have not listened to all the words that they really can understand from all these Israelite prophets who've been coming to them. And for years, the Israelite prophets have been coming to the people of Israel and saying, Wake up! Wake up, guys! You're sinning against the Lord. You're going to be in trouble. The the Assyrian armies are going to be coming to punish you for your sins wake up and the people of Israel have been mocking the prophet's words and mocking Isaiah's words calling them senseless childlike babble they're like ah these prophets they're just talking to us in baby talk we can't understand what they're saying they're not listening to the prophet's words in verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah we see that they've not listened Instead, what they've done is they've gathered around them all their own favorite prophets and priests who are supposed to teach them about God's word and lead them in the right ways to live. But instead, they're like, we don't want God's prophets, but we want prophets who we like. And these prophets who they like, they're always drunk and they're babbling nonsense about God. In Isaiah's prophecy, here in chapter 28 of Isaiah, Isaiah says that what God is going to do to punish them, he's going to send foreign tongues in their midst that they don't understand. And these tongues, are the they're going to be the language of these Assyrians who come from the north country, these mighty armies, and they come into Israel and they invade in the year 722 B.C. Foreign tongues. They hear these tongues, they don't understand them. And the point of Isaiah is, When you hear the sound of tongues that you don't understand, it's a sign, uh uh-oh, we should have listened to the prophets. God's judgment has come. Things are not okay between me and God. Interestingly, very interestingly, Paul quotes this passage from Isaiah, and he uses it to make a point about tongues to the Corinthians. What is going on here? It seems... Bible commentators go all over the place on this one. This was a really fun one to study. But it seems what Paul is doing is more of a point of application than interpreting what Isaiah said. He's he's seeing, hey, in the past, God used foreign tongues, the Assyrians invading Israel, tongues people didn't understand, tongues that sounded like Babel. God used it as a sign of judgment for people who had rejected his prophets. And so Paul says tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. They signify something. In Isaiah, they were a sign that God's judgment has come on the unbelieving Israelites who had rejected God's intelligible words that they could understand. And they rejected it. And so it is, says Paul, with tongues people don't understand in the church. He says, when people come into the church, and they hear babble going on, this this tongue speaking to the Lord in languages they can't understand. They're on the outside, under judgment, with no hope of understanding what's being said. Seems to be where Paul goes next. Verses 23 and 24, he says, so if the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquires, or unbelievers come in, will they not say, You're out of your mind. Yes, they will. And they will walk away, still under God's judgment, more separated from God than they were before. I'm never going back there again. They're crazy. I didn't understand a word they said. Everybody was out of control. I know, and I don't know about you, but I know multiple people who have had that experience in charismatic churches that don't practice what Paul says. And they want nothing to do with this. Tongues signify to unbelievers the obvious. They're on the outside. Christ is not intelligible for them. They can't understand. But that's not the sign that the church wants to give. That's not what Isaiah wanted. Listen to the prophets. That's what you were supposed to do in Isaiah. The word you can understand. charismatics okay Kevin, that's referring to churches that sometimes quite often don't exercise the gifts rightly like Paul says but just allow tongues to run rampant in their midst with no interpretation or if interpretations are given it's like three people interpret what that person said and it's all different and it doesn't wait a second or it's just really kind of really God loves you what is that You know, that's kind of vague. Did you really hear them speaking in your language, or are you just making something up to justify? You know, these things get tricky. Really tricky. But we have to take what Paul says very seriously. Worship services filled with uninterpreted tongues are like Assyrians babbling in the marketplace of Israel. It's a sign, uh-oh. Judgment's come. They don't hear it, so they leave and walk away. Prophecy, on the other hand, communicates something. Signs, tongues, signify something. Prophecy communicates. Prophecy is a sign, and it's directed towards believers, but unbelievers can benefit from it as well. See that in verse 22? Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers— But, here's where he says, um, verse 24, an unbeliever can benefit, somebody that doesn't follow Jesus. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone's prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all. A different kind of judgment than the previous sign. This does something different. It doesn't push them away. But verse 25, the secrets of their heart are laid bare. They're like, oh man, I am not right with God. I'm not okay with the Lord. And so they worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. That's a quote from later in Isaiah. God is really among you? That's actually a quote from Isaiah 45, 14. So Paul's all over Isaiah, the prophet here. He's, when he talks about prophecy and tongues, he's quoting, drawing from Isaiah. In Isaiah 45, verse 14, the prophet is talking about how in the days when God's going to send Jesus to restore his people... In those days, non-Jewish people—people people aren't biologically Jewish, people not related by blood to Jesus—these Gentiles, they're gonna say, "Wow, God is with His people," and they're gonna want in to the family of God. So I'll try to summarize. Basically, what Paul is saying is, when you speak in tongues in church, it's not the miracle doesn't happen where people understand what's being said. It communicates the same thing that the foreign voices of the Assyrians communicated to Israel so long ago. Israel didn't understand those tongues. You're under God's judgment. There's no hope. You don't belong here. You're outside the people of God. But if instead, when the church gathers and prophecy or other intelligible words like preaching or teaching or words of knowledge are shared, then these People that don't follow Jesus actually have the opportunity to respond in repentance and faith to God's offer. That you can be forgiven from your sins if you trust in Jesus. If all you heard was words you didn't understand, that's just a sign it's too late. You can't hear it. You don't understand it. understand. So Christians, in conclusion, the main idea again, should desire the gift of prophecy in corporate worship more than tongues because prophecy is addressed to believers, tongues are addressed to God. Tongues are assigned to unbelievers, prophecy is for believers, and can even bring lost people into the family of Jesus because they can understand what's being said. So, three applications here. First, this is one that I Want to pray about myself. Be open to the gifts of tongue, gift of tongues, as you pray in private to the Lord. Be open to it. Paul says, I wish all of you prayed in tongues. In your private prayer. I know several of my two of my professors of Bethlehem regularly prayed in tongues. I never heard them. They prayed privately to the Lord. And they said it was very um, enriching to their to their prayer life. They didn't do it all the time. They were in control. They, they could start and stop. It wasn't like they were out of their minds. If praying comes, maybe God would give you that gift. The second thing I want to say is everything done in corporate worship together ought to be done in a way that's as understandable to people as possible. As I mentioned before, have you ever been in a conversation where you're sitting and people, you have no idea what two people are talking about? You're know, like, I am totally on the outside of this conversation. Like, listen to one side of a telephone conversation. I figured it out, but I'm not picking it up. Or maybe you, you think you do and you get it really wrong. Same goes for tongues in the church. It's not loving to sing or pray in words that nobody can understand. But this extends beyond tongues all the things we do on a sunday together when we gather should be done in a way that's as understandable as we can make it one thing that's really popular in in evangelical circles nowadays um, to celebrate the diversity of the body of jesus the family of jesus um, some churches really like to sing songs in different languages because we are one big family so um, a church that's an English-speaking church might be encouraged to sing a Spanish song. I've had no problem with that. That's cool. I will say one thing: put the English words up there, right? I want to know what I'm singing. I don't want to sing something that I don't understand. That's not loving to me to say, "Sing this." Well, what does it mean? I don't know. Just sing it. <laughs> sing Spanish. Well. That's all cool, but if I don't know what I'm singing, that doesn't benefit me. And it probably isn't going to benefit my Spanish brother and sister that much because they have, they're they like, dude, you butchered it. Right? <laughs> but maybe not with Spanish, but some other languages. So, sometimes I've been in circles where it's like, sing this African song, I'm like, man, I definitely didn't pronounce that right. But again, my, my point is, a way to love the body is to have the English words right up there. It's important to know what we're saying. So it can benefit me and others. And then one final thing here a word about prophecy. If you're a member of our church, and if you are ever here on the Lord's Day on a Sunday, you, you become a member, you're part of our church family, and you feel this overwhelming sense that the Spirit has put something clear on your hearts to say that will encourage and exhort and even warn our church, I believe that we as a congregation ought to be open to receiving that. There has been times where I as a pastor have been preaching and have felt the pressing of the Spirit to say something in a certain way that maybe I didn't write down. And I would call that a prophetic moment. And I don't have a monopoly on prophecy. However, as it is with all prophecy, we must test everything against the teachings of the Apostles and of Jesus. Test what is said. But as a church, we need to be open to the Spirit of God moving in our midst in a way that might not Fit exactly was the order of the bulletin on a Sunday morning. One commentator, D.A. Carson, said this, and I totally think he's right here. Um, the model that we have embraced in most of our tradition of Christianity it, with of one guy talking, like I'm doing, for 30, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, that model is actually very different Not bad, but it's very different than the early church model. Okay? Yeah, there was some apostolic teaching, but there was also lots of people sharing words from the Lord, words of encouragement. Somebody had a song to share. Uh, Somebody, it, it was a group of men. And we try to do that in different ways. But as a church, if the Lord, you really feel, we do that some in our sharing time for prayer requests. If you have just a, a word of encouragement or exhortation alright maybe you're of the persuasion that prophecy has ceased and you don't believe it's a gift still for today well call it whatever you want <laughs> a word of encouragement alright we don't want to put the brakes on that if it's going to be really long maybe talk to us beforehand let us know it's coming maybe we can delay it for the next week seems that 1 Corinthians 14 is a little more spontaneous than that, and we need to be open to that, I think. So, here's a wrap-up, fasting. Paul assumes that God's Spirit is going to be moving mightily and regularly when churches gather to meet. You might not speak in tongues. You might not be getting prophetic prompts from the Spirit to say something to God's people. But my question to you is, where is the Spirit working in your life right now? Where is He convicting of you of sin, of wrong, that you need to ask Him forgiveness for and change? Where is the Spirit calling you to wake up and draw nearer to the Lord? Where is He calling you to love other Christians more truly? If you're a Christian today, that means that God's Spirit is with you. He's in you. He's for you. And the Spirit's aim is to mold you and shape you and your life to be more and more like Jesus Christ. What is the Spirit pressing on your heart today? Do you think about that? Paul does keep in step with the Spirit, he said. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to follow the leading of your Holy Spirit. Pray that we would be, that I would be, sensitive to your spirit's leading and guidance. Please, Lord, help us to trust you more truly and more fully. Make our church more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.